We are in Deuteronomy. Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study, all of y'all. All y'all, y'all. Spent too many weeks in the South. Y'all, 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 y'all. It's our Wednesday night Bible study where we go through a book of the Bible, one verse at a time. We have been going through uh, the books of Moses here. This is the final one, and uh, we haven't really been going one verse at a time, and we're skipping all kinds of big chunks of it because it's (laughs) brutal. And uh, lots of the uh, regulations and the Old Testament laws, which we haven't been reading. So in the Old Testament, we're kind of skipping around a little bit, just trying to give you uh, highlights of... You know some of the key important events in the Old Testament, and uh, we'll do this for a little while yet, uh, and then we'll jump back over to the New Testament. But it's kind of good to kind of get a history of who we are. You know, how did all this get to where it is? All that kind of stuff. Uh, it's been it's been fun. We started in Genesis. Thought we'd just be there for just Genesis, but we kind of got hooked. Anyway, so we are in the book of Deuteronomy now. What's happening here is Moses is now getting he's getting ready to die. Okay, 40 years have passed. I mean, that went really fast. Of course, we skipped a bunch, but they wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years. And uh, he's getting ready to die. And now he gets up and he, he makes this speech. We see it in Deuteronomy, the first chapter, starting in verse 3. In the 40th year, okay, so 40 years now of this gone. On the first day of the 11th month, Moses proclaimed uh, to, all, to the Israelites all that the Lord had commanded him concerning them. So he basically gets up now and he's making this big, gigantic farewell speech. And in this speech now, he uh, reminds them of where they've been, some of the experiences that they've had, where they're going, what this has all been about. God has taken a nation of slaves, an insignificant nation of slaves, and risen them to one of the greatest powers in the world, actually the greatest power in the world at that time because they went through and just kicked everybody's butt, which we're about to read about. But uh, um, it's, it's an amazing transformation. Now, this was supposed to happen in a very, very short amount of time. Well, it didn't because uh, the guys that actually came up out of Egypt were such pains in the rear they wouldn't believe God. No matter what miracles God did for them, they were afraid. They were always nervous. They're, oh, I don't know what's going to happen. We're all going to die. We're all gonna, it's going to be horrible. Gonna, no matter what scenario, even if God doing great miracles, they always broke down to, <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do. All right? Which is a lesson for us. By the way, the Bible tells us in the New Testament that we're supposed to take lessons from these people. Lesson number one is don't do that. Don't constantly be going around, <laughs> I don't know what's going to It's going to be horrible. Talk about all. I'm going to die. All right? Don't do that. Because these guys not only said that, they said, I wish I was dead. I wish I was dead. I wish I was dead. Don't be like that. God has brought you up out of Egypt, brought you up out of slavery, set you free from your sins, given you hope and life. Don't fall back into this <laughs> thing. All right. Pretty good at that, aren't I? <clears throat> All right. So now, so now he starts telling, now he's talking basically to their kids. It's the next generation because all these other pains have died off now uh, because they've been such a mess so he starts now uh, reminding them you know where they've been they've been wandering around in the desert Uh, they had this event that event uh, reminds them about the law and stuff like that chapter 5 he basically uh, summons them and 
reminds them of the basic foundation of the law of Moses, which was the Ten Commandments. And he goes through and he lists to them uh, the Ten Commandments. Well, one of the interesting things now is, is some of the earlier stuff was kind of disjointed a little bit and kind of hard to follow. By the time he gets to this point in his life, he's, he's, very, he's fairly articulate, which is kind of interesting. You remember in the beginning, Moses, he didn't want to do any of this. He didn't want to uh, go. Uh, he wanted to stay in the desert. God had told him, you go set my people free. Well, he tried it 40 years earlier and failed, remember? And failure had basically stamped itself in his brain. When as a young man he thought, I can do anything, I can do this, we can take the world. And he killed the Egyptian and everybody turned on him. Well, then he runs for his life. Forty years later, God shows up to him and speaking to him in a burning bush says, go tell Pharaoh, go get the people. Now now go tell him to let the people go. And he didn't want to do it. No, I can't do it, I can't do it. Because failure had basically imprinted itself on him. Again, another lesson. Don't let that, don't let your past dictate your future. You say, well, I've been a failure. I've made mistakes. Well, whoopie stink can do get in line <laughs> follow me <laughs> mr mr what not to do man i'm telling you people say pastor how do you know all these things because i learned it the hard way i learned what not to do by doing stupid stuff all right and in my geezer years i can pass on my wisdom now to you but you know so you you so you made mistakes all right so what you repent, you move on. Do not let your past dictate your future. You know, and I know a lot of you, you've got that, that old slavery mentality in your head. And some of your parents and your grandparents did that to you, which is a terrible thing. Some of you came from homes where your parents told you you're a loser, you're a nothing, you're nothing but a disappointment. And I know some of you still deal with that to this day. No matter what God does for you, you keep hearing those voices of the past. You know, I thank God for my mother. Not the most perfect woman in the world. Don't get me started. I don't ever play this for her. But, uh, uh, you know, but I'll tell you one thing she's instilled in all of us. She told us, she says, you can do anything. You can be anything. You know why? Because you're a gunger. Because it took us till we were 35 to realize that didn't mean anything. But, uh, but even in my greatest failures, I'm telling you, it's powerful, the voices you get in your head. Through my greatest struggles in life, even when it looked like nothing would ever work for me. I had this haunting voice of my Puerto Rican mother with her accent saying, You can do anything! You can do anything! Ah! And, and it just keeps you going forward. So hallelujah. So anyway, don't let your past dictate your future. And uh, so he, he gives them and he reminds them of the Ten Commandments. <clears throat> and then uh, we get to chapter 6. And he's, he's talking all this. And oh, I'm sorry, I got sidetracked. Can't imagine me doing that. Uh, so, so anyway, he, was, he, was, he didn't want to do any of this. He didn't want to talk. He's like, I can't do it. I ain't going to do it. I ain't going to do it. I'll go, but I ain't saying nothing. I'll go, but I ain't saying nothing. And, and he's well, you know, how about if Aaron talks for you? Okay, okay. But he was still ticked off about it. Remember, God was so ticked he was going to kill him at one point. Do you remember this? God was just going to squish him like a bug. Start over. That's what I'd have done. You know, I'm a bug killing kind of guy. But thankfully, mercy and grace intervened. So finally he goes, and the whole time, you know, we see the movie, you know, let my people go. We see the picture of Moses, you know, and Cecil B. DeMille. The reality is Moses didn't do any of that. He stood there the whole time, said nothing. He stood there. And Aaron said everything. Because he was a chicken. He was a chicken. And people are probably saying, who's the old guy? That's Moses. Who's he? He's the one in charge. What, can he talk? Apparently not. You know, he wouldn't say anything. So 
this man, so by the time they get into uh, the promised land or in, into the wilderness, he starts getting more and more bold because of what God's doing in his life. Hallelujah. That's the good news. See, God will grow you in your faith. You say, well, I can't do it now. Well, you're not dead yet. Keep going. Okay? Because you don't know what God's going to do in your life. And he can get you to a place of boldness and strength in your life. Well, now, by the time we get to Deuteronomy, he is. Here's a man who wouldn't say anything. I can't talk very well. You know, uh, And he's extremely articulate now. He's got boldness. He has uh, just been transformed being in the presence of God all these many years. Anyway, so we get to chapter 6 after he lists the Ten Commandments. And and I'll read some of this to you because this is some of the greatest summary of of this whole experience and what what God was doing in their lives. These are the words. Some of these words were quoted by Jesus. So we want to read them, okay? Uh, uh, Jesus literally quoted some of the words of uh, Moses from Deuteronomy when he spoke. So at chapter 6 he says, These are the commands, decrees, and laws of the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. So you're getting ready to cross the Jordan River, you're ready to go in now. Your parents wouldn't do it, but now you're going to do it. So that you and your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you. So... And so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you. And that you may greatly or increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey. Just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. This is the words Jesus quoted. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Now these are the commands that I give you today. No, these commands that I give you today, he says, are to be upon your hearts. And then what does he say? Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. You walk into homes, you see these Bible verses all over the place. I mean, that's a very scriptural thing to do. You know, just impress these on you. Talk to them. Write reminders on your hands so you remember to talk to your kids about the things of God. And this, see, Moses knew by this point that the real hope is in the future generations. If you do this right with them. Because the first generation was a mess. Okay? I mean, at a minimum... Those of us who have struggled and some of us have come out of horrible addictions and everything else like that. And God can still do wonderful things in your life. But man, let's pass our faith on to our kids so they don't go there. So they can grow up healthy and strong. Sadly, many, 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 many believers, and I'm sure there's several here, and I'm not trying to make you feel bad, but we've done a very, very bad job of passing our faith on to our children. Christianity today is really suffering because people of faith like us have done just a pitiful job of passing our faith onto our children. We have got to get this right. We've got to get it to them. And, uh, you know, sadly, most of the Christians I know, they're Christians, but their kids are hellions, and they don't want anything to do with God. That has got to stop. We've got to get this to the next generation. We've got to thank God for uh, all the people right now that uh, are, are working with other kids right now. They're working with your kids. trying. But I'm telling you, that's not enough for them to get that. Some of the hellions I'm talking about have been in all those classes. Some of the hellions I'm talking about have gone through 180 and all the youth programs. As soon as they get out of home, turned into hellions. Why? Primarily because we're not living this at home. They're watching you. They're watching mom and dad. You know, this is why I'm so passionate and intense about this whole marriage thing. Let's get this right. 
so you don't live in a state of nirvana. Whoopie stinking do. Who does? But be patient with each other. Be kind. Live this at home. It's kind of hard to sell Jesus is really important when you want mom to die and go to hell. Are you hearing me? When you're yelling, cursing, using dirty, filthy words to, to their mother. You as a man yelling at your wife. Derogatory terms. Do not do that. Stop that nonsense. Love each other. Even if it kills you. For no other reason than to live this out at home. Because you live this out at home. It'll get into your kids. It'll make a big difference in your kids. You say, Pastor, well I failed in that. Okay, great. Get in line. Lots of people have failed. But it's time to stop. It's time to move forward. Let's do this stuff right. And Moses was saying, man, get this into your kids. Get this into your kids. All right, so... Um, when the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your fathers to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob to give you a land with uh, a land with large flourishing cities you did not build houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide wells you did not dig and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant then when you eat and are satisfied be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt and out of slavery he says, you're basically, you're about to enjoy stuff that you didn't work for. And I'll tell you what, the blessings of God are very much like that. You don't earn these things. God blesses you. And it's easy sometimes to forget where the blessings come from. We get arrogant. We think, oh, it's just because I got a good job. Just because I'm so smart. Just because I would... No, don't get arrogant. If God has blessed your life, it's because of God's blessing in your life. Don't forget that. And he warns them. Fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. Talking about uh, you know, swearing to God and making all these oaths, which, by the way, I do not believe Christians should be doing today. Uh, I believe the New Testament teaches us not to do that. Jesus said, you heard it of old to pay your oaths to God, right here. He said, but I tell you, don't do that. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. You don't need to swear, God, I swear to you all. Don't talk like that to God. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. If you're going to do it, do it and shut up. If you're not going to do it, don't do it and shut up. God will deal with you later. But don't go around swearing to God, making all these other things inappropriate, in my very humble opinion. Uh, <laughs> do not, you know those people who disagree with that, but they can get in line too. Uh, do not follow other gods, the gods of the people around you. Watch out for all this. Don't get caught up in all this other stuff. Uh, down in verse 20, he says, In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, the decrees, the laws? What, what does all this mean that the Lord God has commanded you? Then tell him. Again, talking to your sons. Getting this in your kids. Tell him this. We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt. But the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent miraculous signs and wonders, great and terrible, upon Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us and to give us the land that uh, he promised on oath to our f- forefathers. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive as is the case today. And if we are careful to obey all his commands or all his laws before the Lord our God as he commanded us, that will be our righteousness. Okay? So, very, very cool. So now he, he goes on. I'll go a little bit further here. Uh, chapter 7 now. When the Lord your God brings you into the land you are entering to possess and drives out... Uh, before you, many nations, the Hittites, Gerzites, all the other Zites. Seven uh, uh, nations bigger and stronger than you. 
Um, after you've defeated them, you must destroy them totally. Make no treaty with them. Show them no mercy. Do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons to take their daughters for your sons for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods these principles are still in the New Testament these are lessons that we still carry into the New Testament do not Bible says be unequally yoked with an unbeliever okay don't and you girls goodness gracious you single women quit dating these heathens are you hearing me say well well, he said he'll come to church yeah Come on. Thank you for that. Yeah. Stop dating these heathens. You should know. But he said, he'll come to church with me. He'll do whatever he's got to get you. Usually to get something out of you, which we won't get to right now. Yeah, we will. Don't do that either. Good Lord, don't date him. And for the love of heaven, don't have sex with him. You're people of faith. You're supposed to be servants of the Most High God. You're children of God. You are not supposed to be unequally yoked with these pagans. Now, if he gets in here and gets saved and born again, and then we can talk. <laughs> I told a lady the other night, she said, Well, how do I know who I should date? If somebody wants to date you, you say, I would love to go out with you, but you have to go talk to my pastor first. <laughs> Bring them on, babies. I don't do a whole lot of appointments, but those I'll do. You send those boys to talk to me. Say, you can't date her. You gotta talk to me first. I'm her spiritual papa. I want to show you the big sword on my wall over here. So he warns them, don't be, don't, don't watch your hearts, man. Don't get cooked up with these other people. They'll pull your hearts away from God. Um, da, 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 da. Warns them not to forget God. Um, kind of chapter eight. Don't forget the Lord. Chapter nine. Here's a neat one. Hear, O Israel, you are now about to cross the Jordan to go in and dispossess nations greater and stronger than you, with large cities that have walls up to the sky. The people are strong and tall. Anakites. Everybody was afraid of Anakites. Ooh, they were big yo mama people. And you know about them and have heard it said, who can stand up against the Anakites? But be assured today that the Lord your God is one who goes across ahead of you like a devouring fire. He will devour them. He will subdue them before you and you will drive them out and annihilate them quickly as the Lord has promised. And after the Lord your God has driven them out before you. Do not say to yourselves, Oh, the Lord has brought me here uh, because of my righteousness. Yes, I'm so holy. It's all about me. I'm so holy. No, stay humble. As God blesses you and gives you success, always turn glory to him. And he basically says, look, it's not because you're so holy. He says it's on account of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord's going to drive them out before you. These people were a mess. They were just horrible nations. Because you're going to read how they went and killed everybody. This was the judgment of God. These were people who sacrificed their children, uh, who did sexual things that would make any normal person puke. I mean, these people were wicked like you cannot imagine. Whole nations. Now, we got little pockets of people in the rally where you see and hear strange things. Imagine an entire country given to pure perversion. That's what these people were. And God used the Israelites, went in and wiped them all out. 
and gave them the land because of their wickedness. Not because they were so holy, because they were so wicked. Kind of an interesting thing. Then he reminds them about the golden calf. You guys were idiots. Don't do that again. Um, uh, then he gives them new tablets. He reminds them of that. Tells them to fear the Lord. Um, more laws, rules. Uh, kind of an interesting thing. Uh, chapter 14, uh, verse 22. 14:22. He says, be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. And then he goes on and on and on about the tithe. A lot of stuff in the law of Moses about the tithe. Uh, sometimes people will say, well, Christians shouldn't tithe because that's an Old Testament law because we don't live by the law of Moses. Indeed, we do not live by the law of Moses. But the tithe existed before the law of Moses. What the law of Moses did is take the same principle and put it in the law. You know, they didn't have any, you know, they were with strong judgments and stuff. But we don't live by the law. But that stuff existed before the law. And at, since then, and then Jesus even talked about tithing is something that we should do. And uh, he wasn't encouraging us to live by the law. But this whole idea that, look, whatever God gives you, give a tenth of it back to God. Don't be taken that. Keep it holy to the Lord. But they made it into a big law. All right. Then all these rules again. Rules about rules and how to rule the rules when you make rules. And, um, kind of an interesting thing over in uh, verse seven, or chapter 17. Flip over there. Um, he talks to them about kings. He says, when you enter the, the land of the Lord... Now, he's basically prophesying here. And, and throughout the whole thing, he keeps prophesying and telling them what they're going to be doing and what it's going to be like. And uh, a lot of it wasn't very good, quite frankly. Um, but he says, when you enter the land the Lord your God has given you, given you and have taken possession of it and settled in it, and you say, let us set a king over us like all the other nations around us. Uh, something that we weren't supposed to do, by the way. Assume when we get there, we will show you how God said, don't do this. And I said, we, we don't care. We want a king. We want a king over us. We want a king over us. So it's basically, Moses knew they were going to do this. He prophesied this to them. You're going to say, give us a king just like all the other nations. We want to be like everybody else. We want to be like everybody else. Again, lesson here. Don't try to be like everybody else. One of the reasons Christianity has been stifled in our nation over the last 50 years is because we've tried so hard to think, act, and behave like the pagans around us. We're not like them. We're supposed to love them. We're supposed to be kind to them. We're supposed to reach out to them. Do the best you can. Shower them with kindness even in the midst of their mean and nastiness towards us. But make no mistake, we're not like them. We don't have the same values. We don't have the same system. Our children will act differently than they at least are supposed to. They'll make different value judgments based on marriage and commitments and things in life than the rest of the pagans around us. But again, so much of the church, you, you can't tell the difference between how people approach big, major, important decisions in people's lives than from the pagans around them. And then we wonder why we get the mess that we get. We have to remember, we are different from them. But anyway, he says, you're going to get there and you're going to say, we want to be like everybody else. He says, well, when you do that, <laughs> when you do this thing you're not supposed to do, be sure to appoint over you a king the Lord your God chooses. So God eventually gives him a king. Uh, the first king was Saul. Uh, and then David, King David, David and Goliath, that was the second king. Um, anyway, uh, we, we, he must be from among your own brothers. In other words, don't place a foreigner over you who's not a brother Israelite. The king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you, you're not to go back that way again. Uh, and then he must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. All this they did, by the way. 
They broke all these rules. He said, when you get a king, I know you guys are going to get kings because you're idiots. You're going to get a king. But when you do, don't let him do all this stuff. And they did it anyway. Solomon had 700 wives. What in God's name do you do with 700 wives? I mean, seriously. How do you keep up with that? Good Lord. They didn't even have Viagra and stuff. I mean, what in the world? And the 700 wives weren't enough. In addition to the 700 wives, he had some concubines. 300 of them. Apparently... The 700 couldn't keep up with him. I don't know what in the world he was thinking. It was just... Good grief. When he takes the throne of his kingdom, he's to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law. He's supposed to write it. He's actually supposed to literally copy the law. Why? Because in writing and reading and stuff, it, it will drill into him. Uh, taken from the priests or the Levites. Anyway, they, these guys didn't do all this stuff by and large. And they kept getting themselves in all kinds of trouble. Um... Reminds them of the role of the prophet. Uh, In chapter 18, verse 14, we have the king and the prophet. I've talked about this before. uh, um, About how throughout the Bible, you pretty much always see this example of a king and a prophet. Uh, Generally, you did not see a king who was a prophet or a prophet who was a king. They were generally two separate roles, different positions. Um... Uh, the nations who will possess, you will dispossess. The nations you will dispossess. Listen to those who practice sorcery or divination. In other words, where you're going, these people are used to turning to all kinds of witchcraft and stuff, trying to get direction in their lives. But as for you, the Lord. And by the way, again, don't do that stuff. I mean, a Ouija board and horoscopes and Lady Lulu's palm reading and whatever the heck. Good grief. But as for you, the Lord your God has not permitted you to do so. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. Um, in the New Testament, they said this line was also a prophecy about Jesus. But he's also talking about other prophets. He says, for this is what you ask of the Lord your God at Horb on the day of the assembly when you said, let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see this great fire anymore or we will die. Remember, God originally wanted to speak to all of them. But I said, you're freaking us out, man. We're not going to do it. So he said, okay. So we'll always have a prophet. And God will speak to the prophet. And then he talks about how to deal with the prophet and stuff like that. Uh, for those of you who've missed the teaching on this, I, would, I actually want to sit down. I'd, I'd like to do a, a teaching. I've got, I've got all kinds of things. I'd like to spend like a morning and an afternoon or whatever with, with the women of this church. And just, you know, a day with Marky. And... Uh, and, and do some real, I'm um, just Bible teaching to help you guys. I believe women should be strong, confident, successful women. And if you'll do it right, you can do that. I call them butt-kicking women. And that's what we ought to have. Okay? And I, I want to do that. But one of the things that I've been teaching about on this idea of king and prophet is, uh, you know, in the New Testament, um, we also see this role being played out as well. And in the church, the Bible says, let the prophets speak. And then the ones who are in charge kind of, you know, judge what they say and stuff like that. Uh, that was always a proper role. The prophet never got mad at the king, and the king never got mad at the prophet. Well, generally, some kings did, but uh, because they heard from God, they didn't. You know, my analogy is: I think in the home, this analogy is what happens in the home. You got the husband who's the king, the head of the home. The Bible says, but oftentimes the wife is the prophet. She's the one, oftentimes, who hears more from God than the king. 
And a lot of women don't understand it because we've taught that the husband should be king and prophet. No. No, I mean, if you think that, you're going to get frustrated. Because women will say, how come I'm more sensitive? What's the matter with you? I'm kind of an idiot, you know? It is, huh? And I mean, he's, he's the king. He's not hearing all these things. But it doesn't have to be one and the same. This is a very successful duel, by the way. It's so successful, Satan duplicates it in the end. You read in the book of Revelation, there is the, 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 the Antichrist and the false. The two roles. Even he uses it. In the home, I believe this is the way it should be. When the Bible says the husband's the head of the home, doesn't mean he's got all the answers. He's a smart guy. He just bosses his wife around like a jerk. All right? Oftentimes, the woman is the one who's hearing, have the insights, speaking into the life of the leader, which is what this always was throughout the Bible. You'd have the prophets coming along, and they would speak into the life of the king. The smart kings would listen to them. All right? Anyway, I don't want to get into that whole teaching, but that's a, it's an interesting role. Okay, then, more laws about laws and laws and more laws uh, then chapter 28 See, that's a lot of laws <laughs> yeah it is all kinds of stuff this, this is real interesting and again listen how articulate this guy I mean he's really a fabulous speaker at this point He says, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. All these blessings will come upon you and accompany you if you follow, obey the Lord your God. And then he gives them a list of the blessings. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. Your baskets and your kneading trough will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in. Blessed when you go out. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction, but flee from you in seven. (laughs) Very cool. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to. The Lord your God will bless you in the land he is giving you. The Lord will establish you as his holy people. As he promised you on oath, if you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, then all the peoples of the earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord and that they, and they will fear you. The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock, and the crops of your ground, in the land he swore to your forefathers to give you. The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouses of his bounty, to send rain on your land and season. And to bless all the work of your hands. You will lend to many nations. But will borrow from none. But wouldn't you like to have our country in that situation today? Good grief. The spending we got now. You know who we're going to and begging for money from now? The Chinese. We're going to the communist Chinese America now. To keep us afloat. That's what happens when you get away from God. The Lord will make you the head, not the tail. If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God that I give you this day and carefully follow them, you'll always be at the top. You'll never be at the bottom. See, you want to be tied into God's economy. You see this? You want to be tied into the blessings of God if you will do and obey God. Now, we don't live under the law, but these same principles apply in the New Testament. Jesus, very familiar words. Sounds like Jesus when he says, Give, be generous. And it will be given to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. Sounds like the blessings Moses talks about in Deuteronomy. Even for followers of Jesus. You say, well, I don't believe that. (laughs) 
is why your life stinks. Okay? You know, don't just dry up and become mom, mom, it's tight economy. I'm like, and it's so sad to hear of churches all across America, because I travel all across the country. It's amazing how many churches are just barely surviving right now because the economy's got tight, people quit giving. And they ask me, and says, Pastor, have you lost almost half your income? And I look at them and go, No. So how much have you lost? I haven't really lost much of anything. And they look at me like, that's why, we, see, that's why we have the best people in the world here in Green Bay, I'm telling you. It's fabulous, man. People of faith. Stay faithful. Stay faithful. Tie into God's economy. You know? Now, if, you know, if things go harsh and 10% of your giving equals 30 cents, then you just give the 30 cents. But you just trust God, no matter what the situation is. But you trust and you tap into his economy, trusting him for his blessings. My hope and my trust is not in the world. My hope and my trust is in God and the blessings of God. Uh, anyway, you know, I, I really, be, I really believe that uh, you know, there, there's a lot of people who become really, 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 really wealthy in lousy economies like this. You know, who, who I'm hoping that's going to be believers, <laughs> people of faith who are looking for opportunities, who are trusting God, who are full of faith, and God's giving them ideas, and they come out of this thing. Smelling like roses. Hallelujah. I don't believe that. That's why your life stinks. Now check it out. However, verse 15. If you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees that I'm giving you today, all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. You will be cursed in the city and cursed in the country. Your basket and your kneading trough will be cursed. The fruit of your womb will be cursed. The crops of your land and the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. You will be cursed when you come in, cursed when you go out. The Lord will send on you curses, confusion, and rebuke in everything you put your hand to until you are destroyed and come to sudden ruin because of the evil you have done and forsaken him. The Lord will plague you with diseases until he has destroyed you from the land you are entering to possess. The Lord will strike you with wasting disease, with fever and inflammation, with scorching heat and drought, with blight and mildew, which will plague you until you perish. Holy cow! Man! Ugly! The sky over your head will be bronze, the ground beneath you iron. The Lord will turn the rain of your country into dust and powder. I will come down from the skies. It will come down from the skies until you are destroyed. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You will come at them from one direction, but you will flee from them in seven. And you will become a thing of horror to all the kingdoms of the earth. Your carcasses will be food for all the birds of the air and beasts of the... I mean, it just goes on You talk about curses. It's like, holy stinking cow. Verse 38, you will sow much seed in the field, but you will harvest little. Nothing will work for you. Nothing will work for you. Nothing will work for you. Everything will go wrong because locusts will devour it. You'll plant vineyards and cultivate them, but you'll not drink the wine or gather the grapes because worms will eat them. You'll have olive trees throughout your country, but you'll not use the oil because the olives will just fall off. You'll have sons and daughters, but you'll not be able to keep them because they will go into captivity. Swarms of locusts will take over all your trees and the crops of your land. I mean, holy cow. 
You know, he basically says to them, look, I am setting before you life and death. In fact, look at chapter 30. Turn over there. He says that literally. Chapter 30, verse 15. He says, see, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. I'm setting before you. You can choose life and blessings or curses. Because he's encouraging, do the right thing. Trust God for God's blessings in your lives. Anyway, wow. On and on and on it goes. Uh, In chapter 31, um, God basically tells them, you know, they're they're not going to listen to you. (laughs) He says they're all going to get nuts. And, And if you read, much of the Old Testament, by the way, as, as you read it, is a fulfillment of these words. You will see that when they did the right thing, God would bless them and they would succeed. But when they got arrogant and everything had happened, you know, they were nice, fat, and taken care of. They don't need God. No, no, no. They got arrogant. And then it would hit the fan. And, you know, judgment would come on them. Everything would go horrible for them. They'd have plagues, wars, uh, enemy uh, armies would come in, carry them off. They'd cry out to God and God would hear them and restore them and give them great blessings. A lot of the cool stories in the Bible of Gideon, of Samson and all these things, these are all when they would cry out to God and say, save us, help us. And God would uh, anoint some leader to come and do some of these miraculous turnarounds for them. But then you would always read, as soon as that guy died off, they went back into the same behavior. And they did this over and over and over again. They really had this problem of, they, they were just so drawn to worshiping idols and stuff. And it, it, was, it was like a habit they just couldn't break. Finally, um, big moment in biblical history. They, God had just had it up to here. And they were swept away into Babylonian captivity. And, uh, and you read some of those stories about Daniel and the lion's den and all this kind of stuff. This is when they were all left there. They finally cried out to God after being in there for so many years. You remember how it was? 70 years or was it longer than how long? Any Bible scholars around here? 70? 70? Yeah, yeah, thank you. She knows. <laughs> I, she knows it all, man. <laughs> God bless her. That was close, 70. So very good. I agree with her. Um, so, so 70 years and then they finally come out. And, uh, and, and that's when you read about Nehemiah in the Old Testament. They rebuild the walls of the temple and all this kind of stuff. Anyway, after all of that, it finally, kind of, it finally cured them. Because from then on, they didn't have much problem with this stuff. And they finally got it right. And that's when Israel finally got healthy enough that God could come. And he sent an angel to this little girl named Mary and said, You're going to have a child. And his name will be Jesus. And he's going to change the world. And, uh, and that's where Jesus was born, into that context of them. And really, since then, they've never really had a problem with uh, falling back into those things. But it was a hard lesson. They really got the snot kicked out of them over and over again. And finally, that big Babylonian captivity. And, uh, and God turned all that around. But they basically prophesied all of this stuff to them and warned them, look, if you'll just do the right thing, God will bless you. If you don't, uh, you will not be blessed. So anyway, chapter 34, the last chapter in Deuteronomy. So that was fast. Yeah, well, you can read it on your own if you like. It was fine. 
uh, great summary. I mean, he really summary. It's much easier to read, I think, Deuteronomy than any of the other stuff before it uh, in terms of the law. But again, as you read this thing, I mean, how incredibly articulate he has and what a fabulous leader he became. So then, this is the end of it. Chapter 34. Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo. Nebo. Not Nemo. Different movie. Uh, Finding Nemo. Uh, He went up to Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land from Gilead to Dan, all of Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negev, the whole region from the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When I said to them, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it because they were disobedient. Uh, at that one scene where instead of speaking to the rock he got angry hit the rock he yelled at the people it really it really took God off again people say wow that's kind of a serious judgment but again here's a man who sat and talked with God to whom much is given much is required you know you need to get stuff right and uh, as a result he and uh, Aaron couldn't go in to the land Aaron had already died by now so in verse 5 says and Moses the servant of the Lord then died there in Moab on top of Mount Nebo. He knew he was going to die there on Mount Nebo. Actually, if, if you look back a couple of verses, you'll see, or chapters, God tells him uh, in chapter 32, look, you're going to go up to Nebo and you're going to die there. So he knew, when he was climbing up there, he knew this was it for him. And before he died, he went and he looked at this incredible land that God was about to miraculously give to the children of Israel. When Joshua and those guys go and kicking butt and taking names. And we're going to pick that up next week and start talking about this. Uh, and, and again, we'll just some of the major events so you can kind of get a sense of what happened there but uh, he didn't get to go in after all this he didn't get to go in so I know he died there and check this out in verse 6 he buried him he being God as far as we know this is the only record that God ever buried anybody so was God's connection with this man so God buries him in Moab in the valley opposite Beth Peor but to this day, no one knows where his grave is. There is no marker. There's no nothing. No one has any idea other than the fact that he died on top of this mountain. No one has ever discovered. God buried him. And I'm pretty sure God plays hide and seek really good. <laughs> and ain't nobody ever going to find him. Moses was 120 years old uh, when he died. It's about as old as Pastor Lathan. <laughs> he had his... Uh, Yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. He was a strong guy. Great health, perfect health. When he died at 120. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites now listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses. Whom the Lord knew face to face. Who did all those miraculous signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt. To Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. 
And there you have the story of Moses. Pretty interesting stuff, huh? Cool. All right, now they're going to go in and they're going to take the promised land. And uh, they are unstoppable now. I mean, these guys, unlike their parents, who are constantly saying, we can't do it, we can't do it, we can't do it. These guys said, we can do it. Little chihuahuas for Jesus, man. And they they went in there and they they just kicked butt and and took names. And uh, so anyway, we will show you some of the highlights of that, some of the major uh, events, some very strange things that happened. They're just I spent hours and I still don't understand what they're talking about. um, and then uh, a little bit, we'll, we'll look into Judges a little bit. Uh, I just want to show you some of the main characters there. This is where we read about uh, Samson and Delilah, so some very, very cool things. So you have a pretty good solid basis of all that. And then we'll see uh, how much further we get. Then that's when Samuel comes and they anoint, he anoints Saul and David and off to the races we go. So... Uh, pretty interesting stuff then we'll we'll get back into the New Testament again but it's kind of good to kind of get a a background grounded background at least the basics of the Old Testament Uh, because a lot of the stories they talk about in the New Testament they'll refer back to the Old Testament I'll start pointing some of those out as as we go into this as well so a great story coming up by by the way of a a hooker called called Rahab Rahab the hooker and uh it, it's an amazing story. It's really, really amazing. Wait till you check this out. Who? Stick around next week for the hooker story. So, uh. <laughs> cool. All right. I am done. Praise God. Let's have our ushers come forward and uh, get ready to take our offering uh, tonight. Our musicians can mosey back onto the platform. All you moseyers. Uh. It is amazing. It is amazing. I mean, I skipped over a lot of stuff, but at one point in Deuteronomy, he says, you know, I didn't pick you because you were the most impressive people in the world. He says, you were a bunch of nobodies. You were a bunch of slaves. I picked you because I love you. And it's, again, the same story for us today. Uh, um, Paul writes about this. He says, look around you. Talking to the Christians, he says, there's not a whole lot of really impressive people (laughs) in the natural you know, there's a few. You know, we got a couple of superstars here and there, and famous people. But by and large, that, that's not what God gets God's attention. Not what the world sees. Because the world looks at the outside appearance. But you know what God looks at? He looks at this. He looks at the heart. Say, why would God bless me? For the same reason he blessed them. So well, I didn't do anything, neither did they. I make mistakes, so did they. Sometimes I'm stubborn and stupid, so were they. But he was motivated towards them the same way he's motivated to you. He loves you. And he wants to bless you. In such a way that just like this, he said, when I do this, the rest of the world's going to look and go, wow, look at those guys. Wow, what successful lives they have. Make no mistake, God still wants to do that today. And he wants to do it to you. He wants to so bless you that he can just show you off to everybody around you. And not because you're so smart, not because you're so good looking, although you are so good looking. It's because of his unending love. You say, well, why would God love me that way? I have no idea. (laughs) I, I don't. I don't get it. I know he loves us. 
I can preach it for hours. Why? I have no idea. But I'm glad that he does. Aren't you glad that he loves you in spite of you? (laughs) Hallelujah. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your loving kindness towards us. And uh, thank you for your word. Help us to grow from it. Help us to learn. Speak to our hearts. Help us to grow in our faith and in the knowledge of God so we can be more effective. Lord, help us to get in a place of blessing, Lord, so you can so bless us that the people will want to look in and say, wow, how'd you get that way? <laughs> and so we can point the finger right back to you and say, and say, because of God's blessings in my life. We thank you for your kindness. Help us now, Lord, as we obey your word. We give to you so that you will bless us as you promised. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.